0: But this year I did feel led to preach on the topic and I wanna focus our thoughts on a term, a single term that's found in the creation story all the way back in Genesis one. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter one. Uh, If you're visiting with us today and you don't have your own copy of God's Word, then there's one in the back of the pew in front of you, and you're welcome to take and to use that and then to take it home with you so that you can have your own copy of God's Word. So we'll be in Genesis 1. It's the first book of the Bible. Uh, My Bible says it's page number one. I would guess yours is going to be close to that as well. Genesis 1 brings us to the story of creation. When God created the universe and everything that's in existence, created the earth and all that is here. And in verse 26 of the creation story, we come to the last part of God's work in creation. And we see this verse that reveals God's plan in creating the pinnacle. Or the greatest accomplishment in all of creation as he created man and mankind. Verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We referenced before that God speaking there to the hour, the plurality is that God has existed in relationship to himself. God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy spirit uh, are the same. They, they make up the Trinity and they have always existed. They have preexisted in relationship. So he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then he says this and let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them And the beginning of verse 28 says, and God blessed them. Out of all the creatures that God made, only one man or mankind is created in the image of God. You see, that gives man a unique standing in all of creation, but it also gives man a unique standing in his or her relationship with God. So I think the natural question that flows out of this to say that we're created in the image of God, the question becomes, well, what is the image of God And I'll tell you, only God himself knows how many pages have been written trying to answer that question. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Some people try to boil it down to and say that it can be summarized with a single quality or one single trait. And they posit ideas such as man's intellectual ability. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, that we have intellect and and intellectual ability makes us like him. Some say it's our power to make moral decisions or choices, or others say it's the fact that we're given dominion over the earth to rule and to have uh, control and influence over the things of the earth. But let me tell you that it's not just as simple as a single thing. There's not one thing that identifies us as being created in the image of God. Because you see this Hebrew word for image and likeness refers to something that is similar to Something that is similar to but not identical to the thing that it represents. Flip over to Genesis chapter 5. A couple of pages over in your Bible. Genesis 5 verse 3. Are you guys getting the echo I'm getting up here? Are you all hearing that out there? Some, oh, okay, well, it's just me. I'm talking to myself twice. So I'm trying to keep up and make sure I'm not repeating myself. I don't know if there's a reverb thing or something up there, Roger. I've got a bounce coming up here to me. Verse three, Genesis three, verse five, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So you see here how likeness and image means something that's similar to the original as a son is similar to his father, but is still unique and very different in many ways as well. Now, it should go without saying, but I want to go ahead and state the obvious here just so we clearly understand it. Man is created in the image of God, but we are not even close to. Okay, we're created in the image of God, but we're not even close to the exact same as or equal to God. Just so we understand that. The image of doesn't mean the exact same as or equal to. I mean, just think about an image is an image as good as the real thing? I, I got a picture and I knew that you all wouldn't be able to see it. So I asked Nancy if she would put this up here of some yummy, awesome, delicious treats. That's an image of some treats. And some of you are going, ooh, I skipped breakfast. Or my breakfast wasn't as yummy and tantalizing as that. But, but there, there's an image of some yummy, wonderful, delicious treats. Now, is this image the exact same as or as good as those originals? yeah it doesn't smell nearly as nice yeah that's not gonna cut it no that's not nearly as good as those things though that may not have been a good idea on my part yeah that image isn't even close to the original, just trust me, you know, in that. But we are created in the image of God, the image, but we are altogether different and way less than who or what God is in his full nature and in all of his attributes. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you a definition of the image of God. I wanna explain it a little bit in detail, kind of give you some ideas and some uh, discussion about that. And then I wanna talk about some applications of the image of God and how we honor the image of God as God's children, as a unique and special part of God's creation. Based on the use of the Hebrew words for likeness and image, we can rightly say this, the image of God means that man is like God, and represents God. Man is like God, and we represent God in creation. And so from that definition comes a very logical conclusion. It's this. If we want to know fully how we are like God, we must first fully understand who God is and what he is like in his nature and his actions. If we wanna know how we are like God, then we must first know who God is. What is he like? Then we can make comparisons as to how we are like God. Let me ask this question, are my kids like me? I have an 11 year old, a nine year old, and a four year old, so are my kids like me? Well, you can't, and some of you are shaking your head, go, yeah, I know your kids. (laughs) But you won't fully know that answer unless you know me. As you spend time with me, you hear me, you learn my personality, my quirky sense of humor, you know, these different things. When you spend time with me, get to know a little bit about me, and then you spend time with my kids, you're going to go, oh yeah, they're just like their dad. They do this. And you have the ability to compare at that point. But you get to know me to know if my kids are like, similar to, in their personality and their actions and their behaviors, if they are like me. So as we know God, as we get to know him more and more intimately, we learn how we are like him, but also how we are not like him. We do share some attributes and similarities with God. For instance, the Bible says God is love. God is love. It's part of his nature, his character. It's one of his attributes. So the question is, can we show love? Can we, as people, demonstrate and show love to other people uh, in our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our speech, our attitudes? The answer is yes. We can show love to other people. So we are like God in the fact that we share that attribute. The Bible says that God is all-knowing. Are you all-knowing? Well, what's the square root of 2,428,516? Now, you don't know that? Well, you are not like God, okay? You are not all-knowing as God is all-knowing. The more we get to know God, the more we'll know how we are designed and created to be like Him, even though us living out and displaying qualities and characteristics and traits is gonna be infinitely inferior ...to how God displays those traits and who he is in his character and his nature... Now, I put in your notes uh, some reference material. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology had a great section, many, many pages, uh, on the discussion of the image of God where he lists five categories or areas where we're like God that sets us apart as different from the rest of creation. And I put it in your notes because I just can't cover everything this morning. But, But a couple of high points. In the moral aspects, he talks about the inner sense of right and wrong that people have That the rest of creation doesn't have internally within it. I'll never forget being in seminary and discussing in one of our uh, ethics classes that sociologists who have researched peoples and tribes uh, and nations all around the world have discovered that there are about five basic rules that every nation, every tribe, every culture around the planet, internally, there is just an internal set of rules that govern certain behaviors. And they kind of grouped them into five different categories. I'll never forget one of those rules that, that humans have written within them that every culture, regardless of socioeconomic uh, level, of of skin color, of location in the world, every group of people around the world, one of those rules is that we are to protect children. It's a universal thing that that adults, big people, don't beat up on and take advantage of and harm in any way children. It is a universal uh, understanding within the culture of human beings in humans. You know what happens with some animals in the animal kingdom? They eat their young. That is a huge difference between people and animals. Now, sometimes you may want to eat your young, but we don't do it, all right? There's this inner thing within us that says, this is wrong. We are not to do this. There's this drive that separates us. Some, I see you guys laughing over there. In right and wrong, that separates us, makes us distinct from animals, Think about the mental aspects and how that really broadens the gap between people and animals. Men and women, we we can think logically. We can learn things. And people say, well, animals can too. Do you know how much animals do, how smart they are? Yes, I grasp it. We teach animals cool tricks. They do some pretty amazing things. But did you notice what I said? We teach them to do that. We set up the learning. We set up the standards. We motivate animals to do certain things and functions. I watch Animal Planet. I see what we do. I remember seeing a documentary on uh, drug uh, and explosive sniffing dogs. I mean, it's uh, unconscionable the the sensitivity animals have and how we've taught them to to find drugs and explosives. And you know how we do it? We make a game with them. A dog gets a t-shirt, gets to chew on a t-shirt, and they go and find explosives. What kind of motivation is that? Go into your boss tomorrow and say, I don't want any money. Just let me play with a t-shirt that's rolled up. Your boss is gonna say deal, all right? I mean, that's a great motivation, but we teach the animals to do this. The the dogs didn't approach these people and go, we want to help you guys be safe and protect your national security. So we're gonna find drugs and explosives for you guys in, in airports. They didn't volunteer that. We teach them those things. We think logically and we learn and and we grow uh, in our knowledge and our understanding. No one has ever gazed at Hoover Dam. I don't know if some of you have been. No one has ever driven up and looked at Hoover Dam and said, wow, those are the smartest beavers in the history of the world. You don't drive up on Hoover Dam and attribute it to beavers, all right? You say, who built the dam? People built that. Do you know what beaver dam still look like after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of learning and experience and the opportunity to get better? Something a whole lot different than Hoover Dam, doesn't it? I mean, it just, we learn and we grow in our knowledge over time. And that's a, a huge thing that separates us from the animal kingdom. And what I want to do for the remainder of our time together as we think about the image of God and how we honor that, is I want to look at a couple of different stages of life, if you will, a couple of different ways that we can defend and we should be involved in and honor the image of God in mankind and in people. Because human beings are created in the image of God, and as the kids read earlier, God God starts, God begins life in the womb as he knits us together in the womb. We must defend and we must guard life in such a way that every child can be born and have the opportunity to live according to the plan and purposes that God intends because we are created in the image of God we must defend and guard human life so that it can be born and have the opportunity to live according to God's purpose and plan for that life. Job chapter 12 verse 10 says this, look at this verse closely, in his hand in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath Of all mankind. Notice that it's in God's hand, not man's, based on choice or preference, that we have life. Biblically and theologically, this is a clear cut, undeniable truth. Did you hear me? Biblically, theologically, this is an undeniable, clear cut truth. We must defend the cause of life for those who are not yet born, who cannot speak and cannot defend themselves. It is our charge as image bearers of God himself to protect that image in the life of other people. And this isn't a political issue. It is a moral, biblical, theological issue that is rooted in the clear teaching of the Bible. And it is closely tied to a second principle. The reason we defend the cause of life is because of the second theological principle is that God can redeem any life. God can bring good out of any situation and bring glory and honor to himself regardless of how sinful or broken or ungodly the circumstances in which a life may have come into existence think with me for a moment about what contributions our society may have missed over the last three decades because millions and millions of lives were aborted. What contributions have we missed? How many lives for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ, have not been impacted because Boys and girls and men and women didn 't have the opportunity to give their lives to Christ and influence future generations for the sake of the gospel. Many of you have heard and, and know the story of Tim Tebow, whose mother was counseled to abort him because she had a high risk pregnancy and she understood what the Bible teaches and because of her faith said no i 'm not going to do that and you don 't need me to tell you if you watch any kind of sports media or, or just really general media uh, the 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 impact that Tim Tebow is having in our culture for being a role model for Christianity, for his faith in Jesus Christ and standing up for that. I mean, it's a tremendous story. His life could have been very different had his mother followed the advice of the doctors instead of the clear teaching in God's word and in scripture. Very, very different. And I've never shared this publicly, but I've been led to today. I was conceived out of wedlock. And by God's grace, my mother and my father were married a few months into my mom's pregnancy, and they were married for 36 years before my mom passed just a couple of years ago. But by God's grace, I was saved. God called me into the ministry, and I've been serving in the ministry for some 20 years. It's God's grace, God's mercy, and his plan for my life to use me for his sake and in the gospel for in, in spite of how my life began. And I think if I weren't here, Shelly's life would be very different. I see Daniel down here on the pew. It'd be very different for my family. Have my mom chosen to make a very different decision some 30, almost nine years ago now at this point. You see the power and the potential of redemption, the power of redemption, that God can take a difficult a sinful, a bad circumstance, and God can redeem it for good. The power of redemption, the potential of redemption is what drives and should motivate us to defend the lives of unborn children. And let me give you some ideas in this uh, and how to put this truth into practice. This is not an exhaustive list, just a few points and a few things for you. First of all, is that believers should leverage every resource, every form of communication, every bit of influence they have to see legislation enacted that protects the life of unborn children. And again, this isn't political, although the the effort in this area comes through political means. But this should be a baseline fundamental protection for children in our culture, in our society, who bear the image of God. Do not forget that. If you remember nothing else as you leave this place today, remember that the driving motivation in all of these things that we discuss is that we bear the image of God, and so we should protect that life of those unborn children because they are image bearers. And I've heard people say this, and it lights me up. People say, well, even with a law, people will still find ways to abort. Yeah, we will, because we're sinful. We're wicked. We're depraved in our hearts, and we're going to find creative ways to sin and disobey God's word and God's law. We're, we're going to do it. Yeah, it's still going to happen, but we don't apply that logic to murder to child pornography or to anything else. So well, people are still going to do it. So we don't need law saying that murder is wrong. Are you kidding me? Don't even try that logic that that that's ridiculous to think that we wouldn't establish a law because people are still going to find ways to do it. Having legislation and laws to protect would, would, would take care of the vast majority and be a deterrent for most individuals seeking to abort human life that's created in the image of God. We must defend that cause in any and every way that we can. Secondly, I want to encourage and challenge you today. I've been praying that God will raise up 10 to 15 faithful and dedicated volunteers to partner with our local crisis pregnancy center. We have a crisis pregnancy center that meets in our area. Those individuals come in with questions, needing resources, seeking counsel, wisdom, what to do when they find themselves in a pregnancy situation. We have a crisis pregnancy center that meets with them and begins to counsel and teaches them about human life, the the precious uh, gift of human life and the opportunities and the options that are available to individuals in that situation. And church, we do partner with them in some ways but I want to encourage you to continue to partner with them. And I'm praying that God will call out 10 to 15 persons who will specifically volunteer with them in a number of different ways to go and serve as counselors who meet these these men and these women who come in seeking direction, as prayer partners, as active prayer partners who don't just say, hey, I'm gonna pray for you and then you pray from a distance, but who go and and pray at the facility, go before hours, after hours, during hours, if they allow you to do that. I, I don't know, but just go and pray on site with them. Walk the parking lot and pray. Pray for the people who are going to come and be a part of that. If you can't counsel, you can pray. And if you can't counsel or pray, you can go down and say, hey, can I help clean for you guys? Can I come down here one day a week? And I'll be happy to to sweep your floors, to vacuum, to wash your windows. Uh, A lot of these places, and and I know ours, they receive uh, certain uh, gifts and resources that come in, diapers and formula and all kinds of different materials that they need to give out to to young families and new moms and new dads. You can go down and say, hey, can I help organize your shelves? Let me help take them, sort this stuff. and and clean it up and have the clothes ready so people can come in and pick out the certain size and gender for their baby. There are so many things that you can do to actively participate with them. Go down and pray with the workers or contact them and say, hey, how can I pray for you specifically? Because I'm going to tell you these people are on the front lines of spiritual warfare and they need people who are praying for them and say, how can I pray for you and your family? And then send them notes letting them know I am praying for you and your family and this important ministry and work that you are doing partner with this local agency and we give money in our budget to support them financially and we do some fundraisers so you can be a part of that but church let's not just throw money and say, okay here's some money that's good i did my duty no you get involved you be there you be the hands and feet you be the person who stands and defends the cause of life and helps resource this place because the people who come there are carrying children who are created in the image of god so be a part of the work and the ministry that takes place. Uh, th- they offer classes where you can come and you can teach moms and dads parenting skills or you can talk with them about adoption issues because that's another thing that God may be leading some of you to do is to adopt a child. People come in and they know, hey, there's this child that we've been given, but I can't provide the love and the care that this child needs. And so I wanna, I wanna place it up for adoption. And there are so many people who are looking to adopt children, but it's very expensive. So God may move you to fund and be able to, to resource those who are seeking seeking to adopt a child. And here's a very important thing that church I want you to hear me clearly on that that is a responsibility for each and every one of us. We are to love and encourage and show great mercy and compassion to those who have an abortive past. From what I read and understand, and in my personal counseling and talking with individuals, the most temporary part of of an abortion is the physical part. But the emotional and the spiritual and the psychological hurt and pain and ramifications of that last for years, decades, an entire lifetime. And we need to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ to show love and mercy and compassion and to let people know that there is forgiveness available in Jesus Christ for every kind of sin in our past. And unfortunately, the church has not been a safe haven. It has not been a place of love and mercy and compassion, a place of redemption to tell people, you know what, you are not defined by your past but by who you are in Jesus Christ today to be used by him for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of his kingdom in your future. And I want you to understand that this slice of our population, this portion of people who have this history is greater than you would think, much greater than you would think. And we need to be that place for people to find forgiveness and healing and redemption in Jesus Christ. That is our charge. That can be how we help minister to those who are created in the image of God, regardless of their past, regardless of the choices and decisions that have been made. Well, the second stage of life that I wanna mention this morning is kind of the active, the growing stage of life. It's living life as we're living now. As children, Teenagers, adults, median adults, senior adults, uh, as we live life, we bear the image of God and we should flesh out. We should live the image of God. Now, people say, do we still have the image of God even after the fall? Because when sin entered into the world, it distorted it. Yes, we still bear the image of God, although not as clearly. As it was in the Garden of Eden before sin entered into the world, but we still bear the image of God. And the good news is this, that through redemption in Jesus Christ, through a personal relationship with him, we can progressively reclaim part of the image of God. We can grow to be more in the image of God. We can be more in the image of God, than the image of the world and of our sin nature. Paul writes in Colossians 3.10 that believers have a new self, he says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says that we can be transformed into the same image. That is the image of God from one degree of glory to another. So as we live our lives, we should reflect the image of God and we should share that, we should model that in all that we do so that people can see and be drawn to Christ so that they can be redeemed, so that they can live out the image of God in their lives as well. And then finally, I want to think about this last area of life, this last stage of life as we think about the importance of serving and caring and honoring, caring for those who are created in the image of God men and women, mankind, as they near the end of their lives. You see, the Bible teaches that we're to honor and respect those who have lived long lives. We're to honor and respect those who have lived long lives. There is great wisdom in the lessons that they have to teach us. Maybe not lessons that they learned in the classroom in an educational setting, but the lessons they learned in the classroom of life the experiences they've had, the wisdom that comes from their successes, from their their failures and mistakes in life. We can learn a great deal if we would listen and if we would solicit and seek the wisdom of those individuals. The Bible says to younger persons that we are to respect our elders. And the Bible says to the elders, and it admonishes the elders to train to teach, to invest in those who are younger so that they will be trained, they will be equipped, they will be ready to take over and lead when that time comes as they grow and as they mature. But you see, our Western culture, what we do here in, in, the, in the Western world, particularly in America, is very different from much of the world there are two things that have taken place over time. First, many seniors begin to retire from the workforce, and they have subsequently begun to retire from their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard people say, particularly some, some seniors, those who are, who are aging and in retirement age, as they approach about working in a children's area or, or in a student ministry in some way, they say, hey, we did our time. It's time for their parents to step up and get involved. They need to do that just like we did it when we were younger and we had our kids. And to that I say, show me the book chapter and verse in the Bible where you find that excuse, that logic, that reasoning. I'll be at these double doors as soon as the service is over and I'd love for you to show me that citation in scripture. It's not in there. You're not gonna find it because that's, it's not biblical. And that logic, that reasoning actually flies in the face of what the Bible does teach, which is this. As long as we have life, we are to invest our life in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. Did you hear that? I didn't hear any amens on that. You younger persons need to hear this because this is the legacy that you need to begin building toward right now. And you seniors who are in here, you need to hear this because this is your place. This is your call at this stage in your life. As long as we have life, we are to invest that life in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. There you go. Much better. Much, much better. There is no retirement from serving God. No retirement from serving God. Our rest, the Bible says, begins when we leave this earth. We are to work as long as God gives us life here. When we leave and enter into our eternal rest with Christ, then we rest for eternity. And it's not really rest because we worship and we serve Christ even in that. But hey, it's going to be in his presence for eternity. So the Bible doesn't give us an out for retirement from serving God. But you see, the other thing that Western culture has done is we have increasingly marginalized and segregated the aging members of our population to the point that many of them live their final years in isolation and loneliness and relational neglect. Now, I know that may be hard for some of us to hear, but it is the unfortunate reality for many people in our culture. And church, it shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be that way. And today, I'm going to up the ante, and I'm going to call us as a body of believers to cherish and honor and celebrate and support the aging in our church and in our community. And why am I doing this? Because those persons, those individuals, they bear what? The image of God. They bear the image of God. And we are to honor the image of God in their life, at the stage of life in which they're in. And this is especially true, church. For those who have sacrificed so greatly to lay the foundation that we are building upon in this church. We didn't get where we are today with our facility, with our staff, or with our ministries without a great deal of effort and sacrifice and leadership from those who have led before us. We are building on the foundation and the work and the efforts of those who have served Jesus Christ and served this church and served other people in years and decades before us. And yet things have changed over time. They will continue to change, but that's no excuse for us to ever minimize or criticize or downplay the sacrifice and the service that was given by those who have served faithfully to get us where we are today. We owe them a debt of gratitude. And to simply say thank you with our words is not enough. We need to display it in our attitudes and in our actions and in our behaviors. And I wanted to highlight a couple of points for you today and how you're able to do that as well. Your bulletin insert, one side of it has information about our Crisis Pregnancy Center. I believe it is the blue insert in your bulletins. You can take that information about the Crisis Pregnancy Center, and there's a table in the foyer. There will be some workers, some volunteers out there. They can answer questions. Uh, They can receive that paper, and we will get that to the Crisis Pregnancy Center so you can be contacted. So one side has how you can get involved there. The flip side of that insert has information about our 55-plus ministry that Pastor Andy Brockelman leads. We are very blessed to have Pastor Andy leading in our senior adult's and in our pastoral care, he's an invaluable resource in ministering and caring to this entire body of, believer, or body of believers in times of crisis and illness and death. And I want you to see and do a couple of things in response. First, I want you to see the activities that Pastor Andy plans and the things that are going on to see that you can still be engaged and should be engaged and growing in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And Pastor Andy provides a number of ways, a number of opportunities for you to still be able to do that as you near or get into retirement age. But secondly, I want you to note the ministry opportunities to senior adults. Every week, Pastor Andy distributes a newsletter with information, prayer requests, the details of upcoming events, but part of his newsletter each week has a running list of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church members who are in our local nursing home and care facilities. That's in a literature rack just outside our church office, and you can pick that up and begin to pray for those members. But I'm going to pull a little James and little First John on you here. Don't just pray for those members and say, I pray that it goes well with you. Do something. Put your faith in action. Go visit with them. Stop by their rooms. Say hello. If you have children, take your children. They love seeing kids. We went for Christmas and dropped off some Christmas cards there. We walked up and down the halls and Daniel, my little curly headed red haired boy, he was a rock star in that place. I'm just telling you, we went by one little room and the little lady said, we love his hair. Can he come in so we can touch it? And we're like, oh, he's four. How's this going to go? And Daniel marched right up in there. It's like, They hugged him and they loved on him, and we we're like, wow, Daniel. <laughs> because sometimes he's just like, look at you, like, get away from me. Because every time out in public, people want to touch that curly red hair that he's got but they loved seeing the children there. So so take time, just put in your schedule to go over, spend 30, 45 minutes, visit with these members, just walk up and down the halls, say hello to whoever you meet, to spend some time praying and encouraging these persons, these individuals. And that list is always available in that newsletter. But, you know, in addition to that, Pastor Andy has a list of, of our widows and our widowers, uh, some of our other homebound m- members who, who live at home or with family members. You can contact him for that and say, you know what? I want to get together for breakfast. I want go to go to lunch or go out to coffee w- with these individuals. And I want to sit and I just want to talk to them. I want to hear about their life. Say, so, hey, tell me your story. Tell me about your journey. What are you most proud of in your life? What do you wish you could do over again? What have you learned in, in all your years of walking with God? You know, what, what are the lessons? What are the things that, that stand out the most to you about God's nature and God's character? And you can invest in these relationships and, and you, will, you will encourage and bless their socks off just to spend time getting to know them, hearing about their lives and their story and their journey. That's how we honor the image of God in these individuals and these persons. At the bottom or the the middle part of your insert there, you see that we're in need of some bus drivers and some riders to pick up some of these members who are unable to drive, unable to get here. We're looking for a team of dedicated volunteers to drive the bus over. You don't have to have a CDL to do it. This bus is is small enough, just a regular license is fine. People to pick them up and say, well, I can't do that to pick them up, but you can meet them at the door. When they come to drop them off, say, hey, I'll be there. I'll help get them to worship. I'll help get them to Sunday school, wherever they want to go, because they want to be here. They want to worship. They want to be with their, their friends and their brothers and sisters in Christ in small groups. And so we're looking for a team of dedicated individuals to continue that ministry, to honor these persons by giving of their time and just providing the opportunity for them to be here on Sundays. Our Barnabas ministry is where you can serve through visitation. I think they go out on Wednesday, so Pastor Andy can give you more details on that. So they go and they visit these homebound, these nursing home individuals, and they pray with them, and they say, hey, how are you guys doing? And they find out needs that they have, and they minister to them in so many different ways. And they serve them just as they have so faithfully served others and served Christ so many years of their lives we are created in the image of God. And because of that, we are to honor human life at every age and every stage. So as we come to our time of invitation this morning, I want us to spend some time in prayer and reflection and response. First thing to understand is this, that a life apart from Christ is not fulfilling the purpose and plan that God designed it for. And if you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, experienced forgiveness from your past and been redeemed in him, then today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation for you to give your life to Christ, to believe that he died, to pay the price for your sins and to receive him into your life. And our pastors will be available. and We would love to talk with you about beginning a faith journey in Christ. But for others of us, we've given our lives to Christ. But today, my prayer has been that the message has has spoken to your heart, it's moved your heart to say, you know what? I need to do this. I need to put this into action. I need to bear the image of God more in my life and I need to honor the image of God in the lives of others and in other situations in this way. This isn't an information message this morning. This is an action message. And so I want all of us to answer these two questions in our time of invitation and reflection. God what would you have me do? God, what would you have me do in response to what I've seen and heard today? God will speak, he will guide, he will direct. Maybe it's to crisis pregnancy center, right to life issues. Maybe it's to uh, serving and helping develop the image of God in your life right now. Maybe it's to honor those who have served and who are aging and God's calling you to, to serve in some way for that. But I'm going to tell you, this isn't an invitation thing to say, okay, I'm going to sit here and say, okay, I need to be more like Jesus and leave this place. Yeah, we all need to be more like Jesus. Okay, grasp that. Here's the thing. If we're becoming more like Jesus, we will do things like Jesus and what he's called us to do. What is he calling you to do today? To honor the image of God and to live out the image of God in your life.